Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been listening to messages seeking to unpack God's mandate for Venture Church. You remember God's mandate? What's the scripture? That's awesome. Have you found yourself thinking about it? Not just when I ask you, but at other stages during the week, maybe the couple of verses pop into your mind. Maybe occasionally. (laughs) That's completely normal. It's right. We should be allowing this thing to, you know, I love this word, ruminate. Have you heard it before? It's the colloquially, it's the cow chewing the cud. And they bring it back up and it just, and then you chew it. Because grass is one of the most hard things to digest. <laughs> so they've got to work on it really. The fact that they can bring something as amazing as milk out of it is nothing short of rumination. So when, when the scripture does pop back into your mind, don't quickly gloss over or think, where did that come from? That came from the prompting of the Lord. And allow yourself to dwell on it for a bit. Just don't think, because maybe there's some application or God is wanting to do something in you or through you from that scripture at that moment. Last week we heard that this mandate is for all of us. Before then, we heard about the essentialness, the necessity of being filled with the Spirit in order to be able to do this. God doesn't kind of fire and forget. He doesn't say, here's your mandate, now get on and do it. (laughs) No no bad on-the-job training. He empowers us. He equips us. He gives us the ability to do what He's called us to do. And I kind of want to go back to that verse, verse 1 of Isaiah 61, and pick up on one other dimension of that thing. So Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this, The Spirit of Sovereign Yahweh is on me, because Yahweh has anointed me. Now normally, oh, it's tiny. Normally you'll see I put uh, the version of the Bible that I'm quoting from. Well, this one says, Alex Motier. Who is that? He is the most amazing scholar of Isaiah. I think he's still alive. That, that I've ever read. He's got several versions of Isaiah. And I took this from a, uh, what is it? It's like a, it's about a 90-day reading plan of Isaiah. And he translated the whole thing for himself. He understands this book like nobody I've ever met before. So if you're interested in Isaiah, anything you can find by this guy, Alex Montier, is, and he's an English guy with a name like that, who knew but he, uh, just such insight. One of his books is on the gospel in Isaiah. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, a lot of what I've come to understand about Isaiah, and especially Isaiah 61, I've come from reading his commentary and his translations, and I really liked how he put this. God has anointed Venture Church to be full of His Spirit. So we focus on to be full of His Spirit, which is right. But what's the first bit? God has anointed. 
What is this anointing word? What does it actually mean? We so often use it almost interchangeably with being filled with the Spirit. But is that true? Is, it, is, it, um, is that a valid way of understanding it? In the Old Testament, obviously Isaiah is in the Old Testament. The Hebrew is Mashiach. Hebrew is even more guttural than Afrikaans. In fact, when I listen to Afrikaans people pronouncing Hebrew names, they do an infinitely better job than uh, us pommies. But let's move on from there. <laughs> so there are, there, are, there are two ways that this thing of anointing is used, especially in the Old Testament, because it's talked about a lot more in the Old Testament, though not exclusively. There are two aspects. The first is... Uh, people were anointed as the Lord's representative, as the Lord's um, instated person. How's that? Or more specifically, they were recognized to have that calling and gifting. So I'm going to unpack this a little bit as I go along. In fact, especially of the kings, but it wasn't just kings. The prophets, the priests, and the kings, as well as a few others, were all talked about as being anointed by the Lord. The most demonstrative, the most easily recognizable were indeed the kings. In fact, it was such a thing that this phrase, the anointed of the Lord, came to equal king. So when we read or hear the phrase Messiah, Moshiach, anointed one, we should be hearing king. So that word has a very direct translation into the Greek, Christos or Christos, which comes to us as anointed one. So when we hear um, Jesus Christ, I don't know, a lot of people tend to hear Jesus' first name, Christ's second name. But that's not what it's saying. It is a kingly declaration. Just as the Old Testament kings were often known as the anointed of the Lord, so Jesus is Hamashiach, the anointed king. That's why when the high priest at, at his uh, trial, at Jesus' trial, asks, who are you? Are you the king of Israel? He says, I am. It's the only thing that he asks, answers because it is so uh, core, so quintessential to who he is. So, so what is this idea of Messiah then? Not just in Israel, but in the whole of that region, the Middle East, which you've heard of because there's a war going on there, but it's been there for a long time, and it has a very ancient, uh, long history. And at the time that Israel was part, ancient Israel was part of that history, it wasn't just ancient Israel that had this, uh, this idea of kings being anointed. The idea was very much that there was a divine mandate given to this person to rule this nation. And if you enjoy history, you'll know that a little bit later, though still a long time ago now, 
Alexander the Great used that tradition to establish his rule in the empires that he conquered by having, him, having himself declared as, well, let's give a specific example. When he, after he conquered Egypt, he had the, the priests of Os, On and Osiris anoint him publicly as divine king, as the emperor, as the son of the gods. Now, that wasn't what happened uh, exactly with Israel, but it was a common thing. It was well understood that the anointed one was anointed and in a sense participated. with. It was a divine mandate given to rule. It's also possible, especially, but only in the Bible, to see that an anointing, like we've been talking about now, is God staking his claim on the king and then on all that the king rules. And that's a particularly biblical idea of God's ongoing in involvement. Nations outside of Israel, they kind of did their own thing once they'd been given this mandate. But in the Bible, God's involvement continues. He's saying, I am still involved. So what does this anoint mean? It means to set someone apart for a task. And that idea of setting apart is wrapped up in the word holy. I don't want to go there today. But there is a setting apart for a purpose. It's also to authorize and equip. So God's anointing sets apart, but it also authorizes and equips. It gives the ability to do something and the authority to do it. And thirdly, it is for, the purpose is a task of spiritual importance. It's not accidental. It's not something that we uh, dream up as a good idea. It's not something we fall into. Like sometimes we feel like we've fallen into it. But it's something that God has purposed. It is something of spiritual importance. So God when God anoints, He's setting someone apart. He's authorizing and equipping them for a task of spiritual importance. Well, let's start applying this, if it's such a major theme like I'm saying it is, to Jesus. We read in Acts 10 verse 38. For me, one of the most important scriptures to understand how, who Jesus is, Acts 10 38 in the whole New Testament, as a believer. God, and, and Peter is giving a sermon, and in the middle of this sermon, this is what he says. God anointed, notice the word, Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who are under the tyranny of the devil because... God was with him. He's setting a precedent, Peter. He's saying, this is how Jesus operated. We often think of Jesus operating as, oh, he was God. He kind of hovered half a foot over the, above the earth. Danger. That kind of Jesus, you can never be like. This kind of Jesus that the Bible talks about, somebody anointed by God with the Holy Spirit 
And as a result of which, he went around doing good and healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. Not because he was God, though he was, but because God was with him, because the Father was with him. So when did this anointing start? Oh, no, he was born with it. Well, maybe, maybe that's not what the Scripture says. Let's pop over to Matthew 3. I'm going to read verses 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming down on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We've heard this scripture a couple of times over the last few months because rightly it points out, or rightly it has been pointed out, Jesus done nothing at this stage, good or bad. Well, not that he did anything bad, but he's done nothing. And yet the Father says, this is my beloved son, I am well pleased with him. What is awesome, and that's wonderful, but it's not what I'm focusing on now. I'm focusing on the fact that after his step of obedience in being baptized, not because he needed to be, but because of righteousness' sake, as he comes up, God anoints him with the Holy Spirit, and he declares what has happened over him. It's not accidental. Bang! And it's not accidental that Jesus' ministry takes off and goes ballistic after this, because he, has, he was born to be anointed. The, the Almighty was with him, but there was, an, there was an anointing at this moment in Jesus' life and ministry that started his public ministry. That's what I'm trying to show you. Let's look at some other scriptures about anointing. So I'm going to kind of go through a little bit chronologically. The first one, which you will know well, is in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, the anointing of David. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day forward. What did David do immediately after this? Did he proclaim himself as king? Did he get a PR agent and start, uh, start a campaign? He went back to shepherding the sheep for quite a while. In fact, if you follow uh, David's journey, it's, it is, it's 20 years at least before he is king in Jerusalem. And even that doesn't happen uh, all in one go. He spends... In, you know, if you look at this from an external point of view, the biggest thing that happened after people started recognizing this anointing on him was he got in serious trouble and had to start running for his life. But the Lord was with him. And he establishes him, and people are drawn to him. Then, after Saul's death, he is recognized by Judah, the southern 
and, and not so much Benjamin, from which Saul came, as king. But it's still a few, another seven years before he becomes king in Jerusalem. There's a, there is a growth, there's a development, there's a progression, if you want to call it that. But he's only ever anointed once. But there are different manifestations of his gifts, of his anointing, as the sphere of his influence increases. And I'm going to come back to that. So in Luke 4.18, we have Jesus quoting Isaiah 61 when he's in Nazareth, his hometown. And I, I love this scripture because he starts by saying, today in your presence, the scripture has been fulfilled. He knew it was about him. But this declaration that he's making about himself is, I have been anointed by God. And I've been filled with the Spirit, as we read about in, in Matthew 3. Acts 4.27. This is um, Peter, Peter and John, after they've been imprisoned, they finally managed to find their way into a prayer meeting. And... They're trying to explain what's going on. For in fact, verse 27, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, this is what they're praying to the Lord, and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. There is a recognition of this divine setting apart, of enabling, authorizing, and, and everything else that followed on Jesus' life, even though at this stage... Jesus is no longer with them. Then Acts 10.38 that we read just now, later on in Acts, Peter's conviction about who Jesus was and how he operated based out of this anointing of God just has grown stronger. Hebrews 1.9 quotes Psalm 45 verse 7. Um, and has many of the same themes as Isaiah 61, especially verse 3. It says, how God anointed him above his companions with the oil of joy. He anointed him with an oil of joy. Amazing and beautiful. Two more scriptures before I start trying to pull all this together. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22. This is where it starts to hit home for us. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. Are you anointed if you believe in Jesus? Yes, you are. I'll try and unpack that a little bit again just now. He has also put his seal on us. He stamped us. He said, this one's mine. And given us the Spirit in our hearts as a down payment. If, you, if you've heard other preachers on this, that down payment that is a deposit in Greek, Arabon, it is a guarantee of what is to come. It's the first part guaranteeing the rest that is to come. So have you been, are you anointed? Yes. Does it say anything about feeling anointed? Do you think David felt anointed in the cave of Adullam when Saul was trying to murder him every single day? It's not about feelings. It's about fact. 
And the scripture says, you have been anointed. One last, one last scripture. 1 John 2 verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. There is an effect because of the anointing. Here, the anointing, again, is linked to the Holy Spirit, though when he says the Holy One here, he's talking about Jesus. So Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit as the demonstration of our anointing. Remember, the anointing is that um, public demonstration of an already existing reality. So let's, let's dig into this thing a little bit more and apply it. And this is, so I've, I've given you a lot of scripture and a lot of information, despite the fact that I cut a lot out. But I now want to make it practical. I'm going to ask a series of rhetorical questions and hopefully draw all of this together and apply it to us. How does it work? What does it mean? And what are its implications? And what am I supposed to do with it? So the first question is, what is the difference between the anointing and the Spirit being on me, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We're anointed at salvation, first of all, as witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. That's, what, that's how Paul describes what happens to us when we're born again. We become witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. I'm not going to unpack that hectically, though there's a lot to be said there. Why are we witnesses of Jesus' resurrection? Because we cannot be born again except that Jesus was raised from the dead. How does that work? Details for another day. But the, the bottom line is, because Jesus died, was resurrected, he is able to give us new life, even in this life. That's the, the praisey version. And because we are born again, we become witnesses, because it's a reality in our lives of that fact. So we are anointed from being born again as witnesses. At the same time, we are also anointed by Jesus with gift ministries. What do I mean by that? I mean the things that we read about in um, Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 and a few other places. Gift ministries that he's given us, which, like David's anointing, were things that we have to grow in and mature in. We need the fullness of the Spirit to grow and to mature. In other words, these things don't happen by accident. They happen by the fullness of the Spirit in us. That's why the Scripture tells us we need to be filled with the Spirit. So this is God's investment in us. And we need the Holy Spirit for it to grow and mature in us. So what is the role then of the baptism and the infilling of the Spirit? My second rhetorical question. Baptism in the Spirit is a personal, voluntary yielding to the Lordship of the Spirit 
in our lives, being immersed in Him, just like water baptism. There's been a lot of teaching over the years which has tried to smooth out all the different things that the the Scripture has to say about the baptism of the Spirit. One of the things that we haven't often done is we haven't said, why is it a baptism in the Spirit? Can, is, there's obviously other baptisms. Well, there's certainly water baptism. So how is baptism in the Spirit like water baptism? There are actually other baptisms as well. But let's stick with water baptism because we all, we all understand it. Well, when do you get baptized in water? When you make a conscious choice for Jesus and you want to take a public stand. Sure, that sounds a little bit like the anointing, doesn't it? Taking a public stand for an, 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 an existing reality. So why then is, do we think of the baptism in the Spirit differently? It is a conscious choice to yield to the Spirit as Lord. So why do we find it so difficult? Well, <laughs> this thing of lordship is difficult. It's difficult for us as human beings. I think it's particularly difficult for us today as modern people. Why? Because we are told by our society that we have the right to be everything that we are. But we leave off the fact that we are no longer free to just be masters of our own destiny and captains of our own ship because we are under Jesus. There was a phrase that I think I skipped over in my notes earlier on that the anointing of kings in Israel was very similar to the way that Pharaoh would make a a vassal king. In other words, a king of a kingdom that he had conquered he would anoint him as king. In other words, that, that this anointing is also a recognition of being under authority as much as it is about having authority. And we forget this sometimes around the issue of being baptized in the Spirit. Is it optional? Well, strictly speaking, no, but it is voluntary. Why is it not optional? Because we can't fulfill what we've been anointed to unless we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Unless we have yielded, submitted, embraced the fullness of His Lordship in our life. I believe that that's partly why He gives us gifts that we haven't learned. I know I'm digressing a little bit here, but I do believe this. So, my, my mum was a modern languages teacher. At one stage, I think she spoke about six different languages. And I still remember that her telling me this clearly after she'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit and started speaking in other tongues. She said, this is the most amazing thing. I've spent years learning different languages. And the Lord suddenly comes and He humbles me by giving me a language that I've never learned, feels like I can speak fluently, but can't understand, and yet I'm talking to him, spirit to spirit. That's an amazing, for me, that's an amazing story, and it highlights this thing of lordship, that the baptism of the spirit is about lordship. The baptism in water is about lordship. 
I declare you, Jesus, you are my Lord. So, what is the role of the baptism and the infilling? Well, if that's the baptism, that can happen the, at the same time that I get saved. It just has to be a deliberate intention. Has to, that hunger has to be a submission to the lordship of the Spirit. So then what's filling? Well, just like anointing is one-off, normally we only get baptized once. I don't think that's absolute law, but the, 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 the picture is certainly that we get baptized once, and then we need to be filled. You buy a new car and you fill it with petrol. Is it still full, full of petrol 20 years later? Well, unless you parked it in the car and sealed it hermetically so it doesn't, I don't know, evaporate. No, it needs to be filled, and it needs to be filled and refilled. We need to be filled. That filling, that, that ongoing filling, is a regular thing that we need to embrace. So then what is the anointing and what's it for? I've kind of already answered this, but the anointing is our setting apart for divine service. God sets us apart for divine service. Remember that 2 Corinthians 1? You have an anointing. You have been set apart for a divine, God-given purpose. Now it's God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has also put His seal on us and given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Notice again how closely the anointing and the Holy Spirit go together. They are not the same thing, but they work hand in glove with the Holy Spirit being the hand. It's God's deposit in us as we mature that brings us to the fullness of purpose. The Christian life is one that is destined to be full of purpose. And that purpose comes from the anointing that is on us. I wrote this phrase down. The anointing is the delegation of spiritual authority in the kingdom of God. We have spiritual authority because we have been anointed, and that makes a difference in our lives. Just a couple more questions, and then we can respond to what he said. How can I know what I've been anointed to do? Well, let me give you a couple of practical questions. What are you passionate about? What stirs you? And, and I think in this regard, it's unhelpful to start thinking in terms of, am I passionate about being a teacher? No, no, no. No, 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 no. Are you passionate about how things work? Are you passionate about people? What kind of people? Young people? Old people? Where is your passion? Is your passion with things or processes or with people? Is it with this? Is it where are you passionate? Don't start thinking boxes first. Don't start thinking labels. Start thinking passion. Where am I passionate? What am I passionate about? Another really good question to ask yourself is, where is the blessing in my life? Where do I feel fulfilled? And where do others around me find 
a blessing from me. Not all of us have great social skills. So we might think that we are the most amazing people and people just love being around us. But it may not be the reality. We need to not just go on what we feel, but what is, where is the blessing? Others of us may be frustrated with how much other people like us. It's an area of blessing. We need to recognize that. What did those around you who you trust say about you? It can't just be about me and what I feel and what I think about myself. It has to be what do others acknowledge and recognize. Because the gifting of God is not accidental. And how do you find how to apply that, fulfill that, work out this anointing that God has given you in Venture Church? So after you've done that, what we've just talked about, Chat to, to one of the leaders and get involved. Why? Because even if you get involved in the wrong thing, what turns out to not necessarily be the thing that you are gifted to do, it's easier to steer a ship that is under sail than one that is adrift. So why, do, why is being involved a value at Venture Church? Involved is not enough, but involved connects us, it gets us under sail so that God can direct us. When we're drifting, the unintentional life, <laughs> nothing can be done. It's impossible to direct something that has no means of directing. You may be going in what you feel is 180 degrees the wrong direction. If you are in being intentional about it, you can be redirected and brought in the path that Jesus has for your life. If you are adrift, living unintentionally, it's almost impossible to give direction to you. One last thing. Can you demand a title because of what I've been anointed to? Can I demand a title? God has anointed me as prophet to the nations. Shame. Pick on the prophetic gift. It's most unfair. But unfortunately, that an apostle I've seen most of. Self-appointed, utterly meaningless. When and by whom was it said of Jesus and David, the Lord's anointed? Not Jesus and David. Others. It's one of the reasons why we avoid titles. It's not sin to call me Pastor Francis. It may be inaccurate, but it's not sin. <laughs> but I am Francis. What I do is pastor. What I do is teach. What I do is lead Venture Church. It's not a title. It is the fruit of God's anointing on me. So how does our gift make way for us that much maligned uh, proverb it does it does but it does by not demanding but rather giving ourselves by lovingly humbly and submissively operating in whatever we can by which I don't mean find the worst job <laughs> to do we were having a deacons meeting the other day and 
we were just talking about sometimes arriving here on a Sunday morning, the toilets are not nice. That is not some, you don't have to choose the worst possible job, though somebody has to do it, and if you don't, I will. But that's, it's not more spiritual to deprive yourself and to do the hardest things. It is a question of getting involved, giving yourself lovingly, humbly, and submissively to whatever you can, because then your gift will be recognized. You will be recognized. So we've seen that God has anointed us as part of his mandate to us, all the way back to Isaiah 61. We've seen that the anointing is a setting apart for service with the delegation of authority. So because God has anointed us, there is authority on our lives to fulfill the mandate he's given us. We've seen that Jesus was anointed at his baptism and that we are anointed at our rebirth. Jesus' anointing defined him. That is why he's called Jesus Christ. Jesus, the anointed one. And as believers, we are anointed with the Holy Spirit to walk as Jesus walked. The anointing has a practical application in our lives that we need to put our hands up for. It's not automatic. We have to desire it. Allow not just Jesus to be Lord, but the Spirit to be Lord, enabled to empower us. I want to ask you to stand. I really felt the Lord wanting to restore our sense of clarity and our sense of the weight of his anointing on our lives. I believe that there are many of us, you have walked in at least a measure of what you know God has called you to be at various times in your lives. And you have either slipped away, stepped away, or as it says of the parable of the, the seed, the, the worries of life have distracted you and you've let go of it. The Lord is wanting to do a divine transaction in your heart right here, right now, to restore that. It's also possible that you've never walked in that because you haven't submitted to the Lordship of the Spirit. So he's not being able to develop and empower you. He wants to meet with you. You can do, you can, not do, you can receive what it is that he's giving now. But he is wanting to establish in us individually that sense of anointing and corporately the reality that this mandate he's given us is achievable by us in his power. So can I ask you to close your eyes? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to have an opportunity to respond to him. Lord, I thank you that you have spoken over us and that we can say with Isaiah, with Jesus, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me too. Lord, we're starting there. That's, that is your declaration over us. 
Father, I want to pray for those right now who you, you're touching their hearts and you're reminding of the things that have been spoken over them, things that they've been involved in and love doing and that are no longer parts of their lives. Lord, with them, I say, sorry, Lord, for letting it go. But right now, even though I don't know how, I embrace your anointing on my life. Holy Spirit, fill me again. Find that opportunity where I can be who you have anointed me to be. Don't move on from there if the Lord's dealing with you. Yes, Lord. If you're here and you recognize that this lordship issue is not settled practically in your life, I want to encourage you. Whether it's Jesus' lordship or the Spirit's lordship and his anointing, yield to him now. Don't have to understand how it works. You just have to be willing. Lord Jesus, be Lord. Lord, I give you my fears. I give you my hurts. I give you my insecurity. Be Lord. And Holy Spirit, we ask you, to fill us afresh, to empower us, to fulfill that which you have anointed us to fulfill. Lord, give us the gifts that we need. Lord, we take no, no guilt about, uh, about the past because we yield ourselves to you, asking you to forgive us where we have blown it. And we look to the future where we can truly live for you. If you've prayed any of those prayers and you, you want someone to pray with you, can I ask you to, to stay while everyone else goes and has some coffee? Um, if God's not finished with you, don't rush on. Because I have a sense that there are, they have already been, but there still are divine transactions taking place don't don't let this opportunity go yield yourself to him amen thank you for listening to this sermon we would love to know how this message spoke to you please connect with us through our website www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.